Hi guys, and welcome back to the Building Financial Fitness Podcast. So today our topic is about contrarian investing, and we have the head of research from Lumen Capital Investors, um, Lauren, here. I know I totally butchered your name because you're French, but welcome. Thanks, Junus, for having me on your esteemed podcast. It's great having you, and then especially given that you're not so often in Singapore, it's, it's finally good to catch you in person. And for those of us who might not know about you, can you tell us more about the work that you do? Well, I'm the head of research at Lumen Capital Investor. We are managing more than 1.5 billion US dollar asset under management. Our clients are based in Asia, Europe, and even North America. Mm, got it. And today, I actually wanted to talk about contrarian investing because actually my first job was actually working for a contrarian investor who was based in Singapore. You might know him, uh, Mr. Richard Chandler. And, oh, and yes. I have to say that uh, contrarian investing actually takes a lot of courage and deep conviction. And I mean, essentially, a contrarian approach means to sell when the markets are euphoric and to and to buy when people are in the depths of despair, right? Yes, I think that contrarian investing is a strategy that challenges the conventional uh, wisdom of following the quote. Yes. It's challenging because you are, against, you are going against the waves, mm-hmm. against the tide, so it needs a lot of conviction for you to invest against the crowd. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's based on the fact that assets can be mispriced by the market. Yeah. So a contrarian investor, in fact, believes that uh, markets are not efficient. He believes that the market behavior leads to overvaluation or undervaluation. Mm. And uh, by looking at this asset, that's all a contrarian investor is going to generate alpha, means yes. that extra return against a benchmark for his investor. Yes. So it's clearly very difficult because, of course, it's easier to follow the crowd, to follow the earth in the market, right? A lot of people say the trend is your friend is something that is kind of very uh, common in, in equity market or in mm. financial markets. Mm-hmm. But here it's clearly another way to invest is to look at the human behavior and take kind of opposite view of the quote mm. and identify asset can be equity, can be a fixed income, can be any kind of financial asset that are mispriced uh, by the financial markets. Mm. It requires a lot of uh, good timing mm-hmm. because, of course, the issue is that uh, going against the crowd will also make you take some big bets in terms of investment. Yes. And you know that uh, in finance, uh, there's a career risk in terms of uh, if you are an investor or you are a fund manager, you cannot for long underperform. Otherwise, uh, your clients uh, will look for another fund manager or another investment advisor. Yes. So this is the big risk of being contrarian. And as John Maynard Keynes say, markets can remain irrational longer than investors can remain solvent. So <laughs> I think that's, that's the big issue is that you can be right on a topic mm-hmm. or on an investment, but the timing is very important. And I think I can take a personal uh, I would say example here. Before the first the release of the first quarter earnings of Nvidia, I was I was convinced that the stock was over overvalued, overpriced. Amazing, yes, because so, Nvidia was a you know a, a stock that a lot of people were discussing. 
Yeah, so uh, I mean, I made my own uh, financial research and I was convinced that the first quarter results will be a trigger for a significant pullback in the stock. So uh, I shorted the, the stock mm -hmm. ahead of the earnings uh, release for the first quarter of this year. And I mean, we all know that uh, earnings release was probably the, the biggest event of 2023. Mm -hmm. The stock jumped more than 25% after the release in after hours. So it shows that I got the timing wrong because, in fact, I mean, since then, in fact, the, the stock price of NVIDIA is, is below the entry price that I had. But, I mean, I had the wrong timing, so I had to cut. Uh, it's the way to manage risk. So I think that for contrarian investor, what is also very important is the way that they manage risk mm. for their investors. So, I mean, it can be in terms of like sizing of the investment. It could be timing i guess yeah i think that uh, i mean in general for investment sizing is very important mm, yeah the conventional wisdom of investment is based on diversification so mm. the sizing of your position and knowing how much you can lose mm. before entering the trade is the most important I think that that's what is important for investors to understand. And uh, I would say even seasoned investors like, like myself, right? Because, uh, I mean, I've done this for more than 25 years, can still make a lot of mistakes in terms of timing. The way to reduce the risk is to do uh, a proper sizing of it. And what I learned also is that, uh, in fact, when investors, mostly retail investors, enter into a trade, Mm. They only think the upside, the, upside, the yes. positive outcome of the yes. trade. They mm -hmm. never price what if I'm wrong mm. in the trade that I that I took. And uh, this is the most important. It's not to only know how much I can win, but also how much I can lose. Mm. I always uh, take this example. I mean, if you lose 50%, let's say you have an asset of $100 and it, it declined by 50%, so it's worth fifty dollars, right? Yep. To recover to hundred dollars, it has to double. So yes. a loss of fifty percent needs a hundred percent upside to recover. Correct. So I think that's why uh, sizing is very important, and knowing this, I would say this fact that you need to to earn more than what you have lost is very important. And I mean, uh, outside my regular job, I also teach adult learner. Mm -hmm. So I, I teach a portfolio management. So outside the, the various uh, theories of portfolio management, I always tell them, know how much you can lose before entering a trade. Yeah, I think that's absolutely important. And we, we talked about that in a previous um, session, actually, about, you know, one of the things is people don't often truly know how much exposure they have, they have when they enter a trade. So that thing, that concept of, being comfortable with losing 100% of what you go in with is important. Something that I learned in my first job, that you, you need to be comfortable losing 100% of whatever you put in. And you're right in saying that a lot of investing today, especially for retail investors, there is a lot of people who look at the upside. So going back to your case study of NVIDIA, there was a lot of frothiness in the stock like the people were very very excited about the future and a lot of it was being propelled by AI as well I mean the whole AI story was sort of like propelling the Nvidia stock and like you said they were exuberant for longer than you expected yes I think the, I listened to an interview of Stan Miller, right mm. 
he bet against uh, tech stocks in 1999. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, he had to, to close his uh, short position with a huge loss. Mm. And he say in this interview that, in fact, he would have waited uh, more, six more months. Mm. He would have made uh, incredible return. So, again, uh, I think that's not only retail investor that can make mistake in terms of being contrarian and going against the, the tide. It's even the most experienced fund, hedge fund manager mm. can also lose a lot of of money and uh, so it's not only to be right it's to be right at the right, right time. time yes I agree but you know like going back to you know the, the, the measures of what makes markets euphoric or despondent it's not based on some happiness index right maybe one of it would be like looking at the you know how stocks are rallying but can you tell us about you know what are the data and indicators that you look out for as a contrarian investor well I look at a lot of data that are not necessarily uh, financial data. I mm-hmm. think sentiment is very important. So mm. you have everything that is related around what I call media hype. Mm-hmm. Clearly, the the buzz when there's a lot of buzz, right? Yes. I mean, the media like are storyteller in a way. So like AI is a game changer. Yeah, that uh, is all over this, the internet. This, this is kind of a good example. I think that AI is as important as the internet was. Mm-hmm. But we all remember that in 1999, I mean, we had uh, internet bubble which ended badly. Mm-hmm. And at the end, uh, today, we may have like maybe 10% of the stock that were in the internet uh, space in 1999 still in business, right? Mm. So I think that uh, the media hype is a very important indicator how much you can read. And I always look at the, the best uh, indicator is the front page of The Economist. Mm-hmm. Because usually this is the ultimate sign of we have reached an extreme point in terms of the media hype. Mm. I, t- I take the example a few weeks ago, there was a cover that uh, China is dead. Uh, the, the China growth story is over. Yep. And in fact, it looks like, I mean... So far, it looks like it was almost the bottom of the Chinese equity market. Mm-hmm. There's also everything that is related to sentiment indicator. I look at what is called the, the bull bear ratio. So mm. this is data that are published uh, for more the global equity market. What exactly does this ratio calculate? Oh, it's based on uh, some technical uh, data as well as... Uh, I think that's also a count of uh, news news count in in Google, but it's mm. mostly uh, based on, on technical analysis. Mm-hmm. But usually it shows extreme uh, level of positioning on one side or the other. So here is a contrarian indicator, really good contrarian indicator. If the if the bull bear ratio is extremely bull, mm-hmm. usually it's a sign that the market is overextended and. Uh, on the other side, if the bull bear ratio is extremely bear, mm. uh, it's a sign that we are not very far from from a bottom. So, just a question on the bull bear ratio. Um, let's say if you're looking at um, alerts and you have like a, maybe a certain for the bull bear ratio, if it crosses a certain threshold, then then you get an alert for you to look at it. Would this bull bear ratio be different? I am re- I reckon it would be different, right? For let's say the tech space versus 
oil and gas versus uh, yes, I mean uh, you, you can apply this bull bear ratio uh, to the sector level. Mm. You can also apply this bull bear ratio at the at the global market mm. in, in general. Mm. I think that uh, also one indicator that I look at is the flows. Mm. So usually uh, massive inflows for a long period of time are a sign that there's a credit trade uh, building yeah. in that uh, asset. And oppositely, unloved, meaning old, massive outflows. When nobody is invested in one asset, usually that's the sign that the bottom is not very far because the incremental bad news, in fact, has no more an impact since everyone has been divesting this asset. Yes. And here, I think that the best example, recent example, is, is the oil and gas sector or mm-hmm. the energy sector. I mean, uh, starting of the year, the, the sector was completely unloved. I mean, mm-hmm. there are other reasons, that uh, financial reasons, but everyone has come say that oil price will go to $50, uh, is, is the end of oil, and so on and so on. And at the end... I mean, over the past few weeks, we have seen a, a sharp rebound in oil price. Yeah. And so far, yeah, the flows are coming back, but are still very, uh, I would say, tepid. And that's why I think there are more room for this trade to, to go on. Mm, got it. And you had a last point, right, on analyst consensus? Yes, it's, it's kind of the same, right? When uh, all the experts and forecasters agree on something else, that event is not going to happen. Mm. And uh, yeah, I, I follow Bob Farrell. This mm-hmm. is the kind of old-style uh, US uh, investor. It's also usually a sign that everyone is positive. Again, I can take the example of, of NVIDIA, which is, I mean, it's difficult for an analyst to put a, a sell recommendation on the stock, right? Because and that's why this kind of particular of finance, uh, it's better to be wrong with everyone else than mm. to be right alone. Yes. In, in my time in equity research, there is that difference between a buy side and a sell side kind of recommendation. And like you said, like, you know, for an analyst to put out a sell recommendation when everybody is hyping on NVIDIA, you have to be very bold to be able to stick out like a sort of and say, you know, I think we should sell. Yes, there's a career risk, right? Yes. That nobody wants to take. And also among portfolio managers, there's a career risk. You don't want to be at the bottom of the, the table in, in terms of performance. So mm-hmm. it's better to follow the crowd mm. and, and be wrong with the crowd because the, the portfolio manager will tell you, okay, if I am today overweight NVIDIA, if today I'm overweight Apple, I don't take any risk in terms of career, right? Mm. I mean, these are the, the stocks that everyone expects to see in a portfolio. If someone, uh, I mean, bought uh, Occidental Petroleum or, or Chevron six months ago, mm-hmm. I mean, your clients would have pointed to you, uh, wh- why did you buy these stocks while well, we all know that the oil price is going to go down, right? Mm. And, and that's why I think that a lot of investors that are kind of isolated from busy crowd noise, like Warren Buffett, right? Mm-hmm. Because in a way, he's, he's a contrarian investor, in, in a way, because he always look at what 
looks good value to him. Mm. And usually he's on this assets that nobody look at at the time where it's a good time to buy. Yes. But he has the luxury, I would say, to buy a value asset which can remain a value for a long time because it doesn't have the pressure of timelines. Timeline of competition yes. or whatever. Got it. But you know, if I look at it from a retail investor point of view, if someone even does more homework and looks at analyst reports, looks at analyst consensus, I mean, and, and, and if, if the analysts are already biased to recommend a certain way, then it is so easy for like retail investors to go with the trend. So if there, uh, there's not much possibility of them, you know, being able to seek alpha, if you will. I would recommend a retail investor to not follow analyst recommendation, <laughs> to not listen to CNBC, mm. uh, to not listen to Jim Cramer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I would recommend a uh, retail investor to find a good uh, investor consultant, mm. a good a good guy that is able to to read a balance sheet, to read mm. a, a PNL, to read a cash flow statement, and if they have time, in fact, they can even read, uh, look at key financial ratio in a company, and I think that they can do their stock picking by themselves. I guess, I guess it's not very difficult because investing, usually the retail investor like to invest in the retail names, right? What mm. they know, what they consume and mm. so on. So that's, that's usually the first uh, step is, oh, I like uh, Apple phone or I like Lululemon uh Shirt, right? So I mean, let's take the Apple. Let's take the Apple example because just just a few days ago, the the iPhone 15 was announced, and main media consensus is that people like Apple fans or Apple customers are saying that iPhone 15 was disappointing. Yes, I guess it's a disappointment. I and mean, if you look at uh, 13, 14, 15, for three years, it's almost the same phone. Yes. And you can see this in uh, Apple's earnings, right? And we and so let's say we take it from a, like a retail investor's perspective, then you're saying, you know, I think because they have been, you know, at yet another disappointment, so I don't think, I don't have so much conviction in this, in the stock, and thus I will sell it. Would that be the thought process? I mean, that's uh, a very I simplistic thought process. I think the thought, thought process, process would be more to look at... Uh, there are a few data that you can look. You can look at the trends in earnings. Mm. I mean, you want to buy companies that are growing their earnings on a sustainable basis. And I take the example of, of Apple. In fact, for this year, Apple will have negative earnings growth, mm. which do doesn't justify the valuation that we see on Apple. So that there's this looking at the trends in terms of earnings, looking at the balance sheet. I mean, even if you are not an accountant, a simple way to look at the balance sheet is you look at the net debt mm. to equity yeah. or, or, or how much debt there is on the balance sheet. Mm. And here I would say, especially in a rising interest rate environment, you want to, to buy companies that have net cash position who they have low debt have mm -hmm. low debt like a lower gearing low gearing yes and, and then you look at the cash flow statement right i mean uh, is the company able to generate free cash flow means the free cash flow is the cash that stay in the company after it has paid for everything it paid for its investment it paid for its dividend it mm. pays for every it pays for in, its interest expense so and you want to look at companies that have 
positive free cash flow, meaning that every year they are accumulating cash. Yep. Because if you have negative free cash flow, it means that you need to borrow more money down the road, right? yes, yes. which is never a good sign. I mean, you don't want to rely on a banker. A banker is someone who will take out uh, the umbrella when it's raining. Mm. So you don't want to. Re- you don't want a company that relies on banks to borrow more money in any kind of economic environment. So, I mean, these are a bit, a bit the principle of uh, Warren Buffett's stock selection. Mm-hmm. And if you find these companies in kind of oligopolistic uh, markets, these are the best uh, sectors, right? The sectors when you have two, three players, where the competition is not too... Uh, high, not too high. Not they too have fierce. good margins, good economies good of margins, scale. Good margins, good position, steady, steady market. Mm. This is what the kind of stocks that, that you want to select. But of course, this kind of boring, right? Because these are, these are not the, the meme stock story that <laughs> you can hear. I mean, on and those are very popular. I mean, we talked about the like Reddit, Reddit, and Wall Street bets and all that. Yes, I mean, but I think that was very popular during the time of uh, easy, mo- easy money. Mm. I mean, uh, when the interest rate are zero or mm. I mean near zero, and where and when everyone can pile into the into the market, and but I, I think that we are going into a an environment where doing your own financial analysis mm. for your stock picking is getting more and more important. Even that the ETF are still very powerful. The, the passive ETF are very powerful. That's why whatever will happen, the Magnificent 7 will still receive a lot of inflows when people just put money in the stock market. Mm. So aside from the importance, the increased importance of financial analysis by retail investors. We are also in an environment where there's rising interest rates, I mean, on the macro side, right? So from the from the macro side, what are the trends that you're seeing play out for the rest of 2023 and early 2024? Well, I think that uh, 2023... Almost, and tw- we're almost at the end. We're almost at the end. And then uh, we, I mean, uh, but the trends will stay the same. So you, we are in an environment where you have the central banks, uh, the Fed in the US, mm-hmm. uh, pushing on the break of the economy by raising rates mm-hmm. because the mandate is to uh, bring down inflation. And inflation is more structural than most uh, expected because there are a lot of structural issue in the economy. We can talk about this later. Mm-hmm. And on the other side, you have the US government pushing on the accelerator. Mm-hmm by giving stimulus, so this has been a check sent to the consumer, this has been a, uh, the student loan deferment that now is over, but that has been a one, one source of, of stimulus. This is also now the, the big stimulus in the US are focused on reshoring of industrial cap- capabilities or of infrastructure spending. So you are in this environment where the government stimulates the economy, so it's putting money that is inflationary. Yes. On the other side, you have the Fed, which tried to calm down inflation by raising rates. Mm. So I, I take this, uh, we, we are kind of in a trampoline economy yes. where you bumps, uh, bounce up and down. Mm. And I think that this will continue. I mean, last night we had the Fed meeting, which clearly say that we will see higher interest rate uh, before the end of the year and and most probably in 2024. 
On the other hand, the government has only one big objective. It's November 2024, the U.S. presidential election. Yeah. So the recession cannot happen politically before, before November 2024. <laughs> mm -hmm. So we still have... 14 months, right? Uh, roughly 13 yeah. months where we are going to be in this environment. So I I'm not particularly negative on equities. Mm. I think that is more a rotation uh, going on inside the equity market from the growth into the more cyclicals and value stocks. Hmm. Even that I still think that some growth stocks will do will continue to do well. So you're saying rotation meaning the shifting of capital? Away. Yeah, uh, shifting inside the market from sectors like IT and uh, more growth-oriented sector into more cyclical mm. sector like like materials, like energy, like industrials, mm. like this kind of stock that are benefiting from this uh, fiscal spending uh, done by the government. Got it. So all in all, in fact, I think that the the global market should be very range-bound. Like we have seen since the summer, right? The summer. We have seen a, a 300 points trading range for the S&P 500. I think that also one catalyst for equities is that inflation is coming back. Mm. Yeah. Everyone thought that inflation is, is over. The immaculate disinflation we had for the first six months. Mm. But unfortunately, the oil price is rising again. Mm -hmm. So this is inflationary. So... I mean, it will take time because the oil price start to have effect first on the headline, but the economy is just energy transform, right? Everything we do use energy. Yes. So would the oil price stay above $90 for three, six months? I mean, everyone will start raising prices again. Everyone will start to ask for pay raise again because the transport uh, cost, is, of living cost, 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 cost of living up. increase and so on and so on. So you have kind of a second wave of inflation coming back. Mm. And in this environment, you don't want to be in fixed income <laughs> because fixed income don't don't pay you, right? I mean, mm. even after the, the, the bear steepening we had on the U.S. Treasury, the 10-year yield is only at 4.4%, right? Mm, yeah. If you think that we have an inflation between 4 and 5%, you're losing I mean, in out. real terms, you get zero or negative. Yeah. So you don't want to be in fixed income, at least not at the long end of the curve. A strategy, if you are very risk-averse, is just to invest in one month's treasury bills and keep rolling every month because if the Fed continue to raise rate, in fact you will earn an income that is higher than the inflation rate. Mm. But I would say that globally, I think that we are in this environment. And on top of this, I think that, I mean, China is not as bad as... What the economist puts it out to be. I don't think that... I, don't, <laughs> I mean, the, the Western world has uh, depicted a very bad picture of the Chinese economy. I think there's a geopolitical uh, reason mm. for that. I just think that China is, is, is going through uh, a lot of reform, a lot of changes. I mean, we had the tech crackdown, we have the property crackdown. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, the economy is not as bad as, as it looks like. Mm. It's just that China was in lockdown for three years mm. almost, right? Mm. And uh, there was no stimulus in China. At the opposite of what the Western world has done, no check was sent to the consumer in China. Hmm. I mean, it's relatively healthy, 
but it's not. I mean, it's not also the culture of Chinese to spend, to overspend. It's not like the American. The American, you you give him hundred dollars, he is going to spend hundred and twenty. The Chinese consumer, you give him hundred dollars, he is going to spend seventy and thirty. <laughs> yeah, I think there is that savings culture, but I think there also might be generational differences for the Chinese, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. Mm. But I, I think that in China is we need to see a stabilization in the in the property crackdown, mm. which is a self-inflicted crisis. Yes. In fact, the government mm. has decided, I don't want this tycoon to be too powerful. I'm gonna. <laughs> crack them down there's a political undertones to what's yeah. happening but there's no re- I mean uh, the long term game is not for the government to destroy the Chinese economy mm. right yep. the long term game is to is to have a prosperous Chinese cons- consumer and, and I think there's a lot of new development on the geopolitical uh, side. I think this BRICS uh, alliance is where we will see the emergence of of the new world and with the new world I mean China India I mean we like it or not Russia will be part of this new world mm. which is a world which is an alternative to the US dollar kind of or US centric world yeah and China wants to be with India at the epicenter of this uh, BRICS but these are more long term views I would say in fact, I'm quite confident that the Golden Week, which will start not next week, but the week after, will give better results than most fear. Mm, yeah. This could be the trigger for a Chinese equity rally. Well, let's let's see it. Let's see how it plays out. I think India and China story has always it will always be in as part of the investment story because they are just powerhouses, right? And in terms of a long term strategy, people always have India and China. Yeah, yes. I mean, this different story, right? Because India has a very positive demographic mm. uh, trend, and now India can can buy oil. Uh, from Russia at a discount. So, <laughs> in fact, what has been the, the the historical problem of India to to overpay for its energy has been solved by mm. this crisis. Mm. Uh, China, I would say, is is moving to, towards a more um, kind of developed market uh, kind of situation, but where the the consumer still can emerge as the new pole of growth. Mm. I mean, in the past, the, all the Chinese growth has been around export, around manufacturing. I guess that everything needs to be uh, rethink. It, it takes time. Huh? I mean, you don't change an economy from a manufacturing into a consumer economy in, in one or two years. It's like a a five, ten years' time, but the Chinese have an unlimited time horizon uh, rather than the, the Americans that every four years need to to go for a presidential election. <laughs> that is true, and I think okay, I think we 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 covered quite a fair bit on like contrarian investing. You know what uh what retail investors can pick up from contrarian investing, and also the you know some of the viewpoints on the macro environment for let's say the next. 12 months. Yes, ah. clear, clearly China is a contrarian uh, it's a contrarian idea. Everyone clearly, is very quite bullish. You're quite bullish on it. Uh, I won't say that I'm bullish. I think that's a it's a it's an opportunistic trait. Mm. 
I think that is completely unloved. Everyone has given up. I mean, I also at some point had, had given up on China. Mm. But I feel that we are not very far from a turning point. I mean, uh, I can take another example is Alibaba. I mean, the, the earnings of Alibaba have grown, I think, 10 times over the past 10 years. Yeah. And it's still the same market cap that it was 10 years ago. Mm. So you can buy Alibaba at an incredible discount while you pay an incredible valuation for Amazon. Mm. And it's basically two iconic companies in the cloud and e-commerce space, right? Yeah. And, and the size of the markets, um, I would say, similar. Even I think Alibaba has a bigger size market potential than Amazon. Mm. So I always take this example. Uh, there are a lot of risks, right, to invest today in Chinese equities. I mean, this is not a recom an investment recommendation. Mm. But for those who believe in contrarian investment, this is kind of a, a good example of it. It's one theme that you can look at. And for listeners who want to find out more about the work that you do, where can they find you? Well, uh, I'm on uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I think we can put the... Yes, we'll the definitely put the show notes. We'll put the links in the show notes. I'm also on uh, what's called X-Twitter. X. X now. <laughs> X now. A actually, X Twitter. EX dash yeah, Twitter. So, so uh, under the handle L E Q U E U. Mm -hmm. And I also write a, a personal uh, weekly macro newsletter on Substack. Cool. We'll, we'll link that as well. It's under Trillion X. Yes. So, where I, I put uh, sometimes some very contrarian views mm. of the world. I had good feedback, in fact, from uh, from readers. That's awesome. So I think we'll, we'll link it uh, on the show notes for sure. And I think that you might have some additional few readers come your way, you know, additional subscribers. It's, I think it's the first time we actually had somebody like a contrarian investor. So it was a pleasure having you on. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you. Many thanks as well to all of you out there for tuning in. This has been a fantastic conversation and we would definitely love to hear what you think about it. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can reach out to us through the email podcast at melisten.sg or at my Instagram at misfitfi. Aside from that, if you enjoy what you're listening to and want to hear more, please help to spread and grow the show by subscribing on Me Listen or Apple Podcasts or by following on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Finally, the Building Financial Fitness Podcast is an original production from Mediacorp and recorded at Scape Live Studios, The Pod, powered by Audio-Technica and City Music. Episode production is done by Junus Yu, with editing and support by Danny Cordy and Gareth Fernandez. Once again, I'm your host and BFF, Junus Yu. Until the next time.